If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Gabby. And I'm Rob. And this is Dark Origins Podcast, a podcast where I tell Rob about the inspirations behind all mediums of art, so movies, TV shows, books, music, etc. And sometimes we talk about times where art imitates life. So... What's today's episode about? Well, hold on. Before we get into that, I just want to first say I am so sorry to everyone for our unplanned um, hiatus. Yes, hiatus. We moved. We are in the process of moving still, and it has taken up so much of our time. This obviously is not our full-time job. We would love for it to be our full-time job, but at this moment in time, it it can't be. It's just not yet, but we're on our way. I don't know about that, but... Oh, we're on our way. We might be 12 years away from it, but we're on our way. Yeah, we're somewhere <laughs> in the process. So yeah, we just, unfortunately, I tried to, I tried so hard to make time to finish everything and there just was not enough time. Yeah, but here we are. Yes. Now tell me, I need to know. I've been waiting for like weeks and I know other people have too. Because it's October, I wanted to do horror movies for the rest of the weeks of October. So... This week, we're going to do the movie Candyman. Oh, no. Is this the story? This is about Cabrini Green and all that stuff, right? Yes. Well, in the movie, the movie set in Cabrini Green, but the actual crime occurred in an Abla housing building, but Abla housing is, or well, it's, they're torn down now, but they're very similar to Cabrini Green in always crime rate. 
um, income, which was barely anything for most of the residents and the the fact that they were neglected. Yeah. So which I'll get into. Like, you mean like slumlord style neglected or like policing or both or like, what do you mean? All of it. So I'll, I'm going to tell you about it right now. Do you want to just get I into mean, it? I guess that's what this whole thing's about. Yeah. Okay. Know. And then if there's, if you have any questions, I can expound upon things. Just ask me. I will. Okay. 100% going to have questions. All right. So one of the scariest movies I've ever seen is Candyman. I've been wanting to do this movie for a long time. Now, now, do you mean the original or do you mean the remake? Because they're both good. I mean the original. I haven't seen the remake, but I really want to see it. When did you watch? I watched that without you? Yeah. Oh, it's, a, it's good. Yeah. I'm really upset i didn't think you'd seen it i wanted to watch it together but we can still watch it i don't know if it was because i was like seven years old when i watched it or if it's because of the primal fear that's evoked by the thought of someone or something coming through my bathroom mirror and killing me i mean yeah that's not great (laughs) but it truly is like one of the scariest movies that i've ever seen for sure and it's a fear that i still think about to this day Really? You think about it looking in the mirror, even in our new house? Yeah. You're like, I know that this is buried. We built this on an ancient burial ground. Somebody's coming through the the mirror. I know it. Yeah. I mean, I think like the fact that it is a new house, it's like, what if there's like some room or something that's behind this mirror that I don't know about? Or what if there's like a tunnel that like is in our basement that someone can access. Obviously that's different than a mirror, but it's like the same thing. Like what if there's this space somewhere in my house that I don't know about where either someone could be living and staying and like sneaking in and out, or there's like access to, you know, someone has access to the house somehow and we don't know about it. So we can't. I get it totally. Cause I think about poltergeist a lot. When was the last time you saw that? When I was very young. Yeah. I mean, they literally buried it or built the built the subdivision on top of an ancient burial ground and um, it's rated PG. Well, that was before PG-13, but whatever. Anyway, carry on. So for those who haven't seen the movie, I'll give a brief synopsis, but I'll try not to give anything away. And please note that the history behind the story goes a lot deeper than I'm going to be able to describe. So I'm going to try my best to capture it all the best that I can, but I definitely suggest looking into everything else like use this as a jumping off point yes what you're saying yeah so like when we're done you're done telling me this story i should go on and and just kind of like read more because there's a lot you're saying yeah and it's not the actual crime that we're going to be talking about i'm gonna i'm gonna talk i'm gonna be able to cover all of that there's other things outside of the crime though that clearly influenced the movie that i'm not gonna be able i mean it's right 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 decades of history to get into and there's just no way to cover it all so i'm going to try to cover as much as possible okay cool so the movie takes place in the cabrini green projects in chicago the protagonist is a graduate student named helen lyle she goes into cabrini green to study the recent murders that have been happening and the urban legend that surrounds them alongside her friend named bernadette the murders had been attributed to the Candyman by the locals, and Helen wants to study the ways in which the urban legend is used as a coping mechanism by the tenants who are forced to live in 
this densely populated, dilapidated structure that or structures, group of structures that have been so neglected due to racism. Slumlords. No, not slumlords. These are projects. It's the same thing, though. I mean, they still, the project was neglected and turned into a slum, right? I mean. It's, I mean, I would say it's just different. In my opinion, a slumlord is someone who doesn't put any money into buildings and just takes a bunch of money from their tenants. And that's why it's neglected. Whereas this was, these are the projects. This is built by the state as housing for people who can't pay, you know, exorbitant rent prices. And I'll get more into why the housing was originally built, but it gets neglected because of racism. So there's a different reason that the neglect happens in both cases. Slumlords, it happens because someone is being greedy and trying to make as much money as possible. The reason that projects get neglected is because of racism and classism. But yeah, very similar though. It's just the state is doing it because they're assholes, not just some random dude who's an asshole. Yeah, the outcome is similar, yes. Yeah. So the legend of the Candyman is that you go in front of your mirror and you say Candyman five times and he will appear and kill you. Very similar to like Bloody Mary. Yep. So that's that's what all of the tenants are attributing these murders to. They're saying it's because of the Candyman. But Helen thinks that like... It's not actually the Candyman. It's someone coming in and killing them. I don't remember if she initially knows that they are coming in through the mirror or if she doesn't. I can't remember that detail. It's okay. a detail from the film. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Watch it and you'll see. But that is how it's like happening. So she goes into one of the murder victims apartments and she finds this terrifying tunnel slash room behind the medicine cabinet in that murder victim's apartment so she goes inside of it don't go in that door i know and inside she finds do you remember this part yeah okay so it's basically like like a shrine of sorts dedicated to the candy man and it's also clearly like where the candy man lives if he is real yeah it's his lair yeah So then she's talking to this other expert who tells her the actual legend or I'm sorry, the history behind the Candyman, like the legend of who the Candyman is. So the Candyman is basically the ghost of a black lynching victim named Daniel Robitaille. Robitaille. I can't remember how it's pronounced either. Daniel was the son of a slave and he defied all odds and became this really successful artist. And then he fell in love with a white woman that he was painting and he ended up getting her pregnant. And this drew the ire of all of the white people in town, most of all the woman's father, who directed a lynch mob to kill Daniel. The location of his lynching is where the Cabrini Green projects would be built later on. So that's how they tie in. Like, that's why it's happening here at Cabrini Green is because this is where he was killed. Sure. So they killed him. By cutting off his right hand and replacing it with a hook before smothering him with honey as they watch bees sting him until he dies. They then threw his body into a fire, like a funeral pyre of sorts. Mm. 
So I'm going to try to talk about the rest of the movie without giving too much away. But basically, Helen's entire life gets thrown upside down when she begins investigating the legend. The Candyman quickly reveals himself to Helen. She knows that he does actually exist. And he makes it known that he is not happy that she doesn't believe in him. And he's not happy that she has basically made the tenants feel like it's possible that he doesn't exist. He wants to like strike fear into the hearts of everyone in the area. And he feels like she has kind of taken away from this. So this dynamic changes as the movie goes on, as Helen reminds the Candyman of the woman that he was murdered for loving. So he kind of goes from hating her for not believing in her or for not believing in him to kind of having like a bit of an infatuation with her. And it seems like he almost wants to like take her captive. That makes sense. He does things like kill people around her and then frames her for the murders. So then she gets taken like to, I think it's a psychiatric unit. Um, But then he like breaks her out of the psychiatric unit and then he threatens to kill other people that she cares about and loves and he basically just gives her no choice but to let him take her in as like his captive I guess <laughs> like I've been calling yeah, it yeah, I don't really yeah. know what else to call it um in exchange for the safety of the people that she loves so he does that he kills her and she is captive. now like yeah She's now like a part of his, yeah, his, his vision, his, his layer, his yeah world. Yeah. And then it becomes clear because there's someone in the movie who wrongs her. It's like a love interest. And at the end of the movie, that person that wronged her feels so guilty that they go in front of the mirror and they say her name five times and she comes back and kills him. So it's clear that she now has this power to come back through yeah. the mirror and kill people too. And like the, the desire man. too. Not just the capability, but the desire. Well, yeah. And so that's the the other thing that I don't quite remember, or I'm not sure if it's ever even really explained. explained, but does she only come back to kill the people that she wants to seek revenge on? Or does she like does she not have a choice and she has to kill anyone who says her name in the mirror five times? That I'm not quite sure about. Like that's her personal hell. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. he's captivated her, put her into some hellish nightmare where, you know, if she's called forth, she must kill. Yeah, but it, it seems like when she kills her love interest that she is wanting revenge. So I kind of, I kind of feel like she can choose a little bit. And maybe now he's a part of the team. Yeah, it could just be this ever growing thing. Although we don't see any of the other victims ever come back as you know right but yeah just an idea yeah so how is there possibly a true story behind that no one can come out of your fucking mirror yeah obviously i mean i've tried i mean i've done the bloody mary yeah, me i've too. done candy man i've done it multiple times i've scared little kids doing it, it yeah it probably will scare you later i've also tried both of them and um when i was younger and I can confirm that 
no one comes through the mirror. Wait, are you saying that you're still here? You're still alive? <laughs> you're with us today? Yes. You survived this? Yes. Whoa. Yes, I know. It's pretty it's, crazy. You are a tough gal. So the movie draws on multiple historic events, obviously. The first part of this is going to be talking about violence against black Americans. If you do not want to hear about that, I just want to give a trigger warning for that. I would say probably skip forward about 10 minutes. The rest of the podcast will be about the murder of a black woman, but it's not racial violence. So I just wanted to give a trigger warning for racial violence in case anyone does not want to hear about lynchings or can't can't consume that type of content right now. So skip forward about 10 minutes. The backstory of Daniel Candyman clearly comes from the history of lynching black men and women in America. Lynching occurred all too regularly throughout the southern U.S. as a form of racial terrorism meant to instill fear in the black community. And oftentimes the bodies of lynching victims would be left up for days to serve as a reminder to the black community members that they were never safe. So between 1877 and 1950, over 4,000 black men and women were lynched. And there were never any repercussions for the perpetrators because it wasn't seen as unjust. It wasn't seen as a crime for these white people to lynch their black community members. So fucked up. It just doesn't even compute anymore. You know what I mean? It doesn't, but we still see what a lot of people would consider lynchings happen today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there's no consequence, right? Like, that's wild to me. Yeah, but still, like a lot of people would say that that there's no consequence for some people who have been involved in modern day lynchings. Uh Like Ahmaud Arbery, there was no arrest for a very long time, thankfully, because of people speaking up and saying, what the fuck, they did arrest them. But there's been, you know, other times where there also hasn't been any justice. So... Yeah, obviously today you can't just go out and for sure face no consequences like you could before. But in a lot of areas, we might be surprised. I mean, I know I have been surprised that people weren't brought to justice, oh, yeah. you know, at all. Kyle or a bunch of other people. Right, yeah. I mean, like that that guy, I don't know if you read about this yet, but there was a guy that was released from prison that did 15 years unjustly. They let him out. He ends up getting like a $800,000 settlement from the government, gets pulled over by some asshole cop, and he's about to arrest him. I'm not sure why. And uh, the guy freaks out, resists arrest, and the guy shoots and kills him. Yeah. Like this just happened in, in, in Georgia. It just happened like again. Has the cop been arrested? I don't. I, I read very little about it today. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised if they hadn't been. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, if he's a police officer, he may not have been arrested yet, but there's definitely an investigation. They are definitely investigating this. I hope so. They are. I mean, it's got national news. Yeah, yeah. So although lynchings often occurred via hangings, it was carried out using many other types of murder. Most often, a black person would be accused of committing some type of crime. Lots of times these accusations were related to looking at touching or being romantically involved with a white woman like it was in the case of the Candyman. But any type of accusation would suffice. 
as white community members were eager to participate in the violence. And it didn't matter if evidence provided solid proof that the accusation wasn't true, they would still do it. And it was still seen as being okay. So black Americans created anti-lynching initiatives that eventually turned the public against the heinous violence, whether it was for selfish reasons or humanitarian reasons is a different matter though. So for a lot of people, they chose to make it illegal to lynch black Americans because it it was hurting the economy instead of like making it illegal because it is unjust and disgusting and racist and violent and terrorism. Mm -hmm. And then other areas definitely felt that it was all of those things. And that's why they did it. They did it so that black men and women weren't able to just be killed. Right. But either way, it was technically outlawed. And 1952 was the first year that went by without any lynchings whatsoever in America that we know about right that's what I was going to say no legal lynchings that we are aware of right right so yeah because they happened that's what that's what I was going to say is like they might not have been categorized as lynchings but in the same way that what we talk about today aren't categorized technically as lynchings but a lot of people see them that way so 1952 was the first year that went by without any quote-unquote legal lynchings yeah unfortunately violence against the black community definitely still occurred. So in order to flee the violence, many black Americans moved north, which played a role in the next true story that inspired the movie. Okay. As people moved to cities like Chicago, huge high rise buildings were built to house the growing population. They were projects led by the Chicago housing authority. And one of these projects was called ABLA, A-B-L-A, It consisted of seven buildings, each with 15 stories. And they were pretty nice when they were first built, even if they crammed way too many people together. But years of neglect fueled by racism allowed the apartments to fall into a state of complete disrepair. They were dangerous to live in, not only because crime overran the impoverished area, but because the stairwells were often pitch black and the elevators were usually out of order. So, you know, imagine having to get to the 15th floor walking up completely pitch black stairs. Yeah, right. And nobody had, you didn't have like cell phones with a flashlight on them. Right. Gangs had taken over the buildings and utilized vacant rooms to do their business. So you might have, you know, a few tenants on a floor and then the rest of the rooms are vacant and being used by gangs to sell drugs, allow people a place to use drugs. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Sex work. Sex work, yeah, sure. Police took far too long to respond to calls from the projects if they came at all. And in architectural quirk, spaces between apartments originally designed to allow maintenance men easy access to the pipes made living in an ABLA apartment even scarier. So these spaces made it so that you could pull the medicine cabinet out from one apartment and crawl through to bust out the medicine cabinet in the next apartment. Oh. Yeah. And this is obviously where the... It's coming right out of your mirror. Yes. <laughs> Literally. Yes. And they might kill you. Yeah. Some apartments were even connected vertically, so you could climb up or down through the space to an apartment on the floor above or below you. And it had been a problem for a while. So about a year before the case that we're going to talk 
about these medicine cabinet break-ins were starting to happen a lot. And the Chicago Housing Authority knew about it. Obviously, the tenants knew about it or became aware of it. And so they started doing things like putting furniture in front of their medicine cabinet or tying them closed in some other way before heading to bed. But nothing was done to remedy the issue by the Chicago Housing Authority. Of course not. Right. And that is how Ruthie Mae McCoy was murdered. She's the victim in the case that we're going to be talking about. So it's believed that her murder specifically had some influence in the making of the movie Candyman. There's even characters in the movie that have their names are sound like they're an homage to Ruthie Mae McCoy, like the name Ruth, the last name McCoy, things like that are used in the movie. Might, that could have something to do with her maybe? Well... <laughs> It sounds like from all the things that I read, some places said like it's not clear if like it actually was an homage or not, but it could be just pure quinky dink that. Yeah, that's basically what they were saying. But I don't know. It seems pretty. It seems pretty intentional to me. Huh. So let me start by telling you a little bit about Ruthie May. She was born in Arkansas in January 1935, one of eight children. Similarly to Black Americans of the time, Ruthie May's family moved north in her childhood. Unfortunately, on top of facing all of the external problems that come with growing up as a Black woman in America in the 1940s, she also developed severe mental illness as she transitioned from adolescence into young adulthood. Hmm. She never finished high school, although that probably wasn't as uncommon for kids in that time, but still notable. Right. Her family tried to help her the best they could, but they weren't fully aware of the extent of her illness. And at 27, she gave birth to a daughter, but the father didn't stay in the picture for very long. So she tried her best to be a present single mother, but there were times that her daughter would have to live with other family members when Ruthie Mae was in the hospital or something like that. But in general, she was a really good mom. Good. The whole family was very close. Like I mentioned, they all supported one another whenever necessary. And as Ruthie's daughter grew up, she lived with her mom off and on. But when she didn't stay with her, Ruthie May lived alone, which is obviously scary if you're living in a very crime-ridden neighborhood. So after her previous apartment flooded, she filled out an emergency application with the Chicago Housing Authority And she hoped to move to a unit on the south side in order to live near her family. She also asked not to be placed in a high rise, terrified of the crime and violence she'd have to deal with as a middle-aged single woman. Because at this point, we're talking about she's in like her 40s. Sure. CHA told her that they could put her in a high rise on the west side, specifically Grace Abbott Housing the last of the Abla homes to be built and the most dangerous. So they quite literally said, sorry, we're going to give you neither of the things that you want. We're going to put you in a high rise on the West side, not in a non high rise on the South side. Ruthie had no choice though, but to accept any unit she could get. So she decided, okay, I'll move there. And there was a period of time in her new apartment in Grace Abbott where her daughter, her daughter's two children and her daughter's boyfriend 
lived with her, but that came to an end because Ruthie Mae and the boyfriend had a hard time getting along. So from that point on until her death, she was living in Grace Abbott alone. Mm. And robbers had entered her apartment the year before she was murdered through her medicine cabinet, but thankfully she was not harmed. Unfortunately, she reported the break-in to Chicago Housing Authority, but nothing was done to fix her broken medicine cabinet or to help her in any way. So as if it wasn't scary enough to have a medicine cabinet that can be just broken through, she now has no medicine cabinet in her bathroom. It's just a hole in the wall. Yes. Leading to an empty apartment next door. Yes. Yeah. That someone has already crawled through. Yes. Although the medicine cabinet in the next door apartment had been put back on the wall, probably by the robbers themselves because they're trying to, you know, hide the trail, hide the evidence. But so she couldn't see into that apartment. But that's terrifying to look into your where your mirror should be and see a long black tunnel. Yep. I think I covered that up with something. Yeah, but she just wasn't able to. I mean, she was a middle-aged woman who didn't have a lot of money and was struggling to just live normally anyways. Right. I just mean anything, newspaper, something. Yeah, yeah. Her neighbors all knew her. They all had a lot of things to say about her. Some of them kind of just silly quirks, but otherwise they liked her. She was well known for her penchant to yell and swear at people as she passed by And at certain times in her life, she didn't seem to care a ton about her appearance. And she just kind of wore like baggy clothes and, you know, things like that. And she talked to herself often, but she was absolutely harmless and everyone knew that. And she seemed like kind of charming and sweet in a lot of ways, too. She's just like a nice, crazy old lady. Yeah. And... One of the things that she would do is she would oftentimes check her neighbor's apartments and cars to see if they were locked. Like she probably similarly to me had an obsession with doors being locked, which makes us even sadder because she's so worried about her door being locked and her neighbor's doors being locked to make sure nothing bad happens to them. It must have been so scary to have an open hole into your apartment. Yeah, it'd be terrifying. Terrifying. So she would go down the hall and she would just pull on her neighbor's doors. And if they mm. unlocked and opened, she would lecture them in hopes that they would lock their doors in the future. <laughs> she just wanted everyone to stay safe, which was hard to do when living in such an impoverished area that lacked the necessary resources. Sure. And not too long before her murder, this is also incredibly sad. Neighbors noticed Ruthie's mood shift to be more positive, And it seemed that she had bought new clothes and was starting to take more care in dressing herself. And they said that she had become like really nice at this point. Like she, she was clearly in a better space. She was clearly getting her mental health on track and it just, she was so close to getting out of this terrible situation. But on top of getting her mental health back on track and probably as a result of getting her mental health back on track, she had successfully applied for SSI, which I think gave her a newfound hope that she was going to be able to move because her first check was going to be backdated. So she was going to be getting a check for $1,979, which she was living at the time on like a hundred something dollars a month. 
So, yeah, so that's a ton of money. Yes. And for w- her with, yeah, yeah. And with like after the, the backdated check came, she would then be getting like 300 something a month. So she's getting a massive increase. Yes. But to get a lump sum of almost $2,000, she was going to take that money and move out of public housing. Sure. So yeah, what year was this? Do you know? 1986. Okay. Cause like in the 90s, early 2000s, I rented a decent apartment. I think it was a two bedroom apartment. And I got, it was like 350 bucks. Yeah. And so she gets this check. She's planning to use most of it to move out of public housing, but she does use some of it to buy herself some new clothes and just small things like that. Sure. Unfortunately, you know, some ill-intended individuals may have noticed that and thought that she had a lot of money in her apartment now. It's just a possibility. It's not clear from my research whether or not they actually did know that, though. But if they did, that's likely the reason they decided to target her. Sure. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The robbers were not the only ones targeting Ruthie, though. Unfortunately, before her death, she had been taken advantage of by multiple, quote-unquote, preachers looking to take her money. Her daughter tried to shield her from these predators, but Ruthie believed that sending them money would ensure she would be blessed with miracles. So like some of the journalists that went into her apartment after this all happened saw just tons of flyers from these preachers asking for money. Yeah. So-called preachers, right? Yeah. And her daughter just wasn't able to get her to stop sending it. And then just to kind of explain what was going on with Ruthie, like right before this all happened, like I said, she had started to get her mental health back on track. This is how that all started. So in the summer of 1986, Ruthie took one of her grandchildren to the hospital, telling the hospital that he had fallen down the stairs. But the hospital felt that Ruthie May was, sorry, I keep accidentally calling her Ruthie. It's 
I believe Ruthie May is what she went by. The hospital felt that Ruthie May was acting strangely. So they called the Department of Children and Family Services, which greatly aggravated Ruthie when she found out, which I'm sure it would probably aggravate most people. Yeah. Even if you're at fault, you're probably going to be pretty aggravated. Yes. Yes. But I mean, especially when you're already kind of paranoid because you're dealing with some mental health issues, you didn't abuse your child and, or I'm sorry, you didn't abuse your grandchild and you go in there and they call the Department of Child and Family Services on you. Like that's very scary. So probably racist again. Yeah. Absolutely. Low income. She's black. Yes. Definitely being her kids. Yeah. Yeah. So because she got aggravated, they put her in leather restraints and then they called her daughter and told her daughter to come pick up her son and to sign papers to commit her mother. So that's what she did. She probably had to commit her mom to get her son back, I'm assuming. Or maybe she was like, okay, maybe I can just get her some help. Maybe I can get her into the hospital. Maybe she does need help. Yeah. Yeah. Even if she didn't abuse the grandson, which it seems pretty clear that she didn't, she does still need help with her mental health, it it seems. Sure. So, sure. So they commit Ruthie May, and obviously at the time they couldn't say this for sure, but we know now that no evidence of abuse was found. And everyone, like when they were interviewed after everything happened, said that Ruthie May was a loving grandmother who could be hard on her grandkids at times, but... Nobody believed that she would ever hurt them. Everybody's hard. Everybody's hard on their kids, their grandkids, their niece, their nephew, their cousins, like whoever. Occasionally, people are hard on those kids. Yeah. Kids are crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you're trying to juggle things like taking care of your grandchildren and all of this other stuff that's happening at the same time, you might be a little bit short at times. So. The only good thing to come of this incident, obviously, was that she was connected with some much needed resources. The doctors and social workers who helped Ruthie May were also interviewed, and they described her as being kind, smart, responsible, and motherly. So after she got out of the first hospital that she was sent to, they referred her to another psychiatric center for outpatient therapy, and she would go there and, you know, meet with her doctors and do group therapy and also just sit and talk with the other patients. And the doctor said that, like, she really took them under her wing and tried to give them advice and help them. And it, I mean, they said she adapted and adjusted super well. Like, she really, although, you know, mental health could be a problem for her, it wasn't so severe that if she had access to you know, the resources that she needed that she couldn't live a normal functional life because she could and it was clear. So they noted her distrust in people she didn't know, but that's not really surprising considering the circumstances, you know, and they also agreed that, you know, of course you're not going to trust people if you live in a place where you have to watch your back all the time. Sure. And Ruthie May even began classes to get her GED. And she was very close to earning it before she was murdered. The doctors said that her change in medication, you know, probably helped her mental health. But they truly believed that Ruthie May's ability to just sit and talk and connect with others was the biggest catalyst in getting her healthy again. Because they felt like she had become so isolated, specifically because she 
lived in Apple housing where she was so scared to leave her apartment for fear of becoming a victim of crime that, you know, she, she wasn't talking to people. She wasn't able to get out and just have conversations. So when she did have that ability that helped her tremendously and because of the SSI check that was coming or because of the SSI check that came, she was so close to getting out of there because the she talked to the doctors and she said, I just need to get out of here. Sure. And they totally agreed that, yes, you need to get out of there. That's how you're going to be able to live a healthy life. And she was so fucking close. She had the money. She had the plan. She had the opportunity. She was so close. But on the evening of April 1987, Ruthie May heard someone coming into her apartment through her medicine cabinet. She quickly picked up the phone and called 911. She started by giving the dispatcher her address and then tried to explain the situation the best she could, telling the dispatcher that they were coming in through her bathroom. The dispatcher was confused, not understanding that someone was literally breaking in through her bathroom, but they seemed to understand enough to try to confirm that a break-in was occurring. So they asked, is someone breaking in? And Ruthie May says, yes, someone is breaking in. Despite her confirming that for them, the dispatcher only reported the call as a disturbance instead of a break-in, which obviously the emergency level on those two things is different. So that's what police are, they're they're being dispatched to a disturbance and that is not seemingly a huge priority for them. They're going to walk. Yeah. If they even go. Yeah. She calls at about 845 and then two other neighbors call to report hearing gunshots coming from her apartment, which is apartment 1109. The police arrive about 25 minutes after Ruthie May's call. Four officers arrived to the scene and knocked on Ruthie May's door. Nobody came to the door. They called dispatch and requested the dispatcher call Ruthie May's phone. They heard the phone ringing through the door, but nobody picked up, obviously. Officers apparently told dispatch they believe, quote unquote, somebody may be in there holding somebody. I think what they're saying is somebody might be in there holding someone hostage. Yeah. But it's so fucking weird to me that they said that and then decided to do what they did, which I'll continue and you will hear. So a couple more officers arrived to the building since the neighbors had called 911. So you have, you know, the four initial officers upstairs and then you have officers who are at the bottom floor of the building. So the officers at the bottom floor were instructed to drive to the main office to retrieve a key for unit 1109. What? Yeah. Instead of just busting the door down, they decide to wait for them to drive to the main office to get a fucking key. So the officers waited outside Ruthie May's door for the key to arrive. Once it did, they realized it didn't fit. For whatever reason, it wasn't the right key. So now they kicked down the door. Nope. Oh. They went through the bathroom window. <laughs> no, because they they don't know at this time that, that you can do that. Obviously, I'm just And obviously they wouldn't fucking do that if they won't even yeah, break down the door. Fucking idiots. I know you're joking, I'm just saying. I don't fucking know why, but breaking her door down did not seem to occur to any of them. I mean, it's not like this is a big heavy oak door either. Right. Right. They could probably put their fist through it. Yeah. They asked neighbors for help, like they were going down, you know, knocking on the doors of yeah. the other 
apartments and one neighbor said that they hadn't heard anything while another neighbor told officers that Ruthie May always answers her door if someone knocks which you would think that that would create a sense of urgency if you hear that this woman always answers her door if someone knocks and she's not answering right now on top of all of the other the context of the whole situation but it didn't didn't create any urgency and they'll try to say later on well one neighbor said that they didn't hear anything they clearly understand they are going into gang-ridden territory. People Most people are not going to not gonna actually tell you if they heard anything because they're terrified. I don't want to talk to cops, and I live in suburbia. Yeah, like, it, it, you can't. They, You know that you cannot say anything. If you don't want to possibly die, put your life at risk, you cannot tell officers if you heard gunshots. So... And, and they have the two other 911 calls saying right. that they Is did that hear gunshots. Is so that not enough? I don't fucking understand it. So again, instead of breaking her door down, they checked with the main office one more time to see if they had another key. And they were told that they didn't. That was it. There was no other key. So they left at 9.48 p.m. The next night, one of Ruthie May's neighbors named Deborah Lastly called police to relay her concern that Ruthie May hadn't stopped by to say hello, which is something she did every day. And her worry was compounded by the fact that she had seen police at Ruthie May's door the night before. So she's like, she might be dead. Right. Officers were again dispatched. And once again, they knocked on the door to no avail. This time they thought they should break the door down, but apparently the security guard dissuaded them from doing so. He warned the police that they shouldn't break it down because a tenant could sue. And if they didn't sue, they'd still have to f- send someone to fix the door. So really, is it worth the hassle? Apparently, it wasn't because this was enough to convince the officers not to break the door down. So they just left again without making contact with Ruthie May. The next day, the neighbor, Deborah, thank God for this neighbor, like she does not give up decided to tell the main office instead. She's like, okay, I'm just going to go straight to the main office. Yeah, because the police are worthless in this scenario. Yeah. An employee armed with a drill made their way to Ruthie May's apartment around 1 p.m. and they drilled through the lock and opened the door. They walked in to find Ruthie May dead on her bedroom floor with blood all around her. Her apartment had clearly been ransacked with her belongings thrown every which way around her. And her rocking chair and TV were missing. Police were obviously called and an investigation began. The rocking chair. Yes. Well, I was wondering, you know, what are these people stealing from these people? I mean, a TV, cash maybe, but like, okay. I guess they probably got in there and... We're like, all right, just anything you can find, take it and figure it. Okay, maybe the rocking chair is worth a little bit of money. Yeah. An autopsy revealed Ruthie May had been shot four times. The medical examiner concluded that she died from internal bleeding. So she didn't die right away, but the medical examiner said she probably passed away pretty soon after. And it was at this point that police realized the suspects had broken in through the bathroom mirror. And they had honed in on two men. 19-year-old Edward Turner and 25-year-old John Hondras. Both of them lived in Abla housing themselves and neighbors had seen the two walking around with her rocking chair and her TV. Hmm. So I think that that is how they initially honed in on them. 
since police hadn't gone into Ruthie May's apartment for two days after her murder, the suspects had time to go in and clean up the scene, though. So a lot of evidence was missing. They just went back? Yeah. It was clear that things were moved. The phone was gone, despite the fact that officers heard it ringing through the door the night of her murder. And the apartment next door had the medicine cabinet bolted back on. Hmm. Their investigation revealed that the apartment next door had been rented by someone and illegally illegally sublet to others, which happened frequently in Abla housing where, you know, someone would rent it and then they would let like a uh, part of the gang use it for yeah, activities. Yeah, probably a good way to make money or get the drugs you want or whatever. Yeah. The gang that had control over Abla Housing was called the Black Gangster Disciples. And there's a particular like faction of them called the Paymasters who had like the most control. And if a unit was being used by a gang, it was going to be the Paymasters. Okay. So it's believed that they were the ones subletting the apartment next to Ruthie May. That makes sense. One of the people staying in that apartment was a relative of Hondras, which is one of the suspects. So there's another connection. Like I said, the suspects had bolted the medicine cabinet back to the wall in the next door apartment, but it was clear to, it was clear to detectives that it was the route used to access Ruthie May's apartment. Neighbors, yeah, they, they could just tell. They, they could tell, like from the evidence left behind. Left behind. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Neighbors who witnessed the crime or heard about it confirmed for investigators that that was the entry point as well. Sure. So when they interviewed people, like, they were able to confirm that. And the suspects, those two men were, well, I struggle calling one of them a man because he was literally still in high school. Yeah, he was doing man shit, though. man and the boy were charged with murder, armed robbery, home invasion, and residential burglary. Andres had three prior felonies, robbery and two for auto theft. So his sentence would be very long if convicted. Sure. And Turner, who was still in high school at the time of his arrest, didn't have any convictions, but he had been charged with unlawful use of a weapon at the time of the crime. So he was waiting, like pending trial? Yes. The evidence consisted mostly of eyewitness testimony from either people who were with Turner and Hondras when they committed it, but didn't actually go into the apartment with them. Okay. Or from other people who saw them carrying the stolen items around. And then there was also some testimony from Turner's girlfriend who told investigators that Turner had bragged to her that he had shot someone. Yeah. So Turner's defense attorney didn't dispute either of those allegations, but she claimed that there was a reasonable explanation for both of them. She said that he had been carrying around the stolen items, but that he was just helping Hondras out and he had no idea where they had come from. Hondras just asked him to help him carry these items and he said, yeah, sure. And that was it. He was just being a good friend. And she said that Turner did tell his girlfriend that he had killed someone, but that he was only telling her that to try to impress her. Hondras's attorney used the same tactic to explain Hondras's role in carrying around the stolen items that night as well. Apparently, he had only been helping Turner carry them and he had no idea they were stolen from a murdered woman. No, mom, I swear those cigarettes aren't mine. I'm holding on to it for a friend. Right, exactly. 
but the trial is a complete shit show. So the star witness was a young man named Tim Brown. When Brown was interviewed by police, he claimed that he had been in apartment 1108, the one next door to Ruthie, where they had come in from for most of the day on April 22nd. And different friends had dropped in and out throughout the day and night. And then around 11.30 p.m., Brown, Hondras, Turner, and two men named Corey Flournoy and Ronald Coleman, who went by Bo, had all been hanging out when Hondras and Bo walked into the bathroom where Bo showed Hondras how you could take off the medicine cabinet to access the apartment next door. Bo and Flournoy left after this, but Hondras and Turner decided to test it out. They pulled the medicine cabinet off and to their surprise, they could see straight into Ruthie May's bathroom since CHA never fixed her medicine cabinet after the first burglary. Sure. They talked about whether or not they should crawl through to break in and they decided to go ahead. Everything after that happened really fast. So Brown says, as Hondras entered the apartment, Brown heard Ruthie May say, who's there? And then he heard a knock on his door. It was Hondras who had quickly run back to 1108 to ask to borrow Brown's jacket. So he had run out through Ruthie May's front door to the next door that he had just come from yeah, to get the jacket. And then he ran back to 1109 through the front door this time. Meanwhile, Turner was making his way through the tunnel before yelling at Ruthie May to get down. Then he heard four shots. Several minutes later, his friends told him goodbye as they carried the TV and rocking chair away with them. Once they realized police hadn't gone into Ruthie May's apartment, they came back later that night to retrieve the shell casings, but they were only able to find three of them because one of them had gotten lodged in Ruthie May. Really? Shell casing? Or, I'm sorry. No, not the shell casing. The bullet. They were only able to find three of the shell casings. I don't know where the fourth one was okay but i think they also retrieved three of the bullets but one of them was lodged in ruthie may oh so like it went through her that's fucked up i know but brown wasn't the most reliable witness he himself was serving a sentence for possession of a controlled substance with intent to deliver and he had been charged with similar crimes in the past which It's not the fact that he had been charged with these crimes that makes him not super reliable to me. It's the fact that he was in jail for them and could have been getting some type of shortened sentence or something like that for his testimony. But to the jury, they may not have found him super reliable because of, you know, his past crimes. The other reason he wasn't super reliable was because this was not the first iteration of his story. He had told a very different story to the police the first time they interviewed him. In his first story, he claimed he wasn't even at the apartment that day or that night. He told detectives he was partying with Flournoy, who was also interviewed by police. Parts of their stories matched up, but there were some major inconsistencies that gave them away. So police were like, come on, dude, we know you're lying. Tell us the truth. On top of all of that, his second story didn't fit with the evidence. So it seemed like, you know, he was lying in that story as well. Mm -hmm. For instance, how could they have broken in at 1130 p.m. if Ruthie May had called police at 845 p.m.? Right. That's a little bit of a distance. Right. When it came time for him to testify, he would once again completely change his story and... 
this really fucked everything up for the prosecution. So they call him to testify. You know, he comes up as if everything's normal. And then this is the story that he tells. He claims that it was Hondras and Bo who broke into Ruthie May's apartment, not Hondras and Turner, Hondras and Bo, while Turner stayed on the couch with him and a bunch of other people in 1108. The prosecutor was obviously thrown off by Brown's testimony, so she tried to remind him of the statement he made to police. She asked if he had signed the statement, to which he responded yes. She then asked if he had signed every page of his statement, and he said yes, with the abuse of the police that was standing there. So he's claiming that... He signed under duress. Yes. Upon cross-examination, Turner's attorneys asked him to elaborate on the police abuse because obviously this is great for Turner. He has been completely, like, exonerated by his... Exonerated, it's not the right word. His friend has given him an alibi, basically. Sure. And not only his friend, the star witness has given him an alibi. Right, as a prosecuting witness. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes, the prosecution star witness. So Brown claimed that the police had kept him handcuffed in an interrogation room for the majority of the day, and they had also grabbed him between the legs and squeezed while threatening to charge him as an accessory to murder if he didn't admit that Hondras and Turner committed the crime. There were other witnesses who testified as well. One of them was Brown's girlfriend, Lynette Fitch. Brown, again, is the star witness. She testified that Hondras and Turner had come to her door hours after Ruthie May had been shot, asking to store the stuff in her apartment. She asked where they had gotten it from, to which they responded it wasn't her business, so she told them no, but suggested they ask Turner's girlfriend, Sonia Moore, who lived on the hall. Moore testified that Turner had come over and told her that he shot a lady who had a daughter about her age, but then he claimed that he was just joking and hadn't actually shot anyone. So that's that's what she's saying to the court. She's saying, yeah, he did tell me that he shot someone, but then he told me later on that he was just joking and he hadn't actually shot anyone. Yeah, I mean, people make that joke all the time. Right. Not- and also know things about the victim, like... That yeah. she's older and that she has a daughter who is similar in age like to details his of the exact person who's dead. Yeah. And then finally, Hondra's girlfriend, Theola Archibald, testified that Turner and Hondras had come by her place at 3.30 a.m. on April 23rd asking to store the TV and rocking chair. And she allowed them to keep them at her place. A few officers testified during the trial as well. They disagreed with Brown's claims that police abused him or mistreated him in any way. Mm. They said that he voluntarily gave up the information and that he was never handcuffed. Basically, they just completely disagreed with everything that he said. But it didn't matter because it had thrown off the trial so much. Yeah, it's off the rails at this point. Yeah. And they, both of the suspects ended up being found not guilty. So Ruthie May didn't get any justice. The main injustice begins, though, when police go to her door and do not fucking enter to try I to mean, help there's her. There's that, but then there's also not fixing the stuff. Or, yes. And like, yes. I'm sorry. Fuck? I should say the main injustice occurs when she first has to move into that place. Right. That's where it starts. Yes. 
And then it's made even worse by the police not coming in. They completely bungle the investigation as well. It goes even further than that, though. It goes to the fact that that place existed the way it did. Right, exactly. Like, it's not even that she has to live there. It's that anyone has to live in that situation. Exactly. And the two people, one of them who is still in high school who committed the crime or who, I'm sorry, allegedly committed the crime, right. also grew up in that, in Same Apple spot. housing. Yeah, I mean. Is it really that crazy that they could grow up to or still be growing up and murder a woman for a rocking chair in a TV when they are forced to live in a place extreme that... Extreme poverty. Yes, extreme poverty in a place that is not safe to live. With no way out. With Yeah, seemingly no way out. And the gangs obviously prey on the young men mm-hmm. to get them to, you know, join the gang and, and do a lot of the dirty work and it's really fucking tragic for every single person involved. And, and it still happens. Yeah, it does still happen. Thankfully, Abla housing was torn down, but there are buildings like this in Detroit, everywhere, in any major city. I mean, the Jeffries projects were like that. Not that long ago. Yeah. This well, they're is, gone, but still, This is something that occurs in major cities all over the United States. And the areas are so segregated. It's very clear that it's done on purpose. Done on purpose. Yes. Orchestrated to keep people down. Yes, exactly. And under the guise of helping them. Yeah. Because it does help, right? It is nice to have a roof over your head. But there needs to be other programs involved that get you moving in the right direction. Not only that, but... Resources. Like, how nice is it to have a roof over your head if it's, like, nearly uninhabitable and you're in so much danger just living there? There are ways to have affordable housing for people that actually help them. And it does not include purposely segregating minorities and marginalized communities to have to live in the fucking in these fucked up you know projects yeah that are government designed to hold people down it's that simple yeah there should be other shit going on yeah i think that it's great the idea was good from the start but it didn't work because they didn't continue to put money in it. They didn't continue to upgrade. They didn't continue to build people up that live there and give them more opportunity. They didn't focus on education. They didn't focus on making sure people are fed and clothed and have purpose. Yeah, exactly. The Another thing, too, that um, a lot of the articles touched on was how the infrastructure of the Abla homes completely ended up fucking the residents because... The way that they were built, they were built with no through roads. So basically, like once you got into the apartment complex, there was there was no there were no roads that went through it, which made it right. super isolated. They're it made all it built like its like own little island. They're so, all built like that. Absolutely. None of that like space that's supposed to that's meant to be like community space or whatever. That's what it was supposed to encourage. Actually, was used for community space. It's all just like concrete and 
right. maybe Concrete some grass, shit. but like a basketball court, some old swings. Right. Maybe. Right. But rusty chains and shit. We know now that if you build a, a complex like that, you are doing a disservice to the people that live there because those types of complexes seem to have more crime and have more poverty. And it's pretty clear why, because it does become so isolated. It keeps people in and it keeps people out. Yeah. Which is the worst thing that you can do. It's like a form of prison. Yes, it is. It is. It truly is. And then really quickly, I just want to touch on, you know, like a lot of the journalists who got involved, they questioned, you know, CHA as to why these things weren't fixed and why, you know, wasn't she helped and why did you guys let it get like this? And they questioned the police department as to why they didn't go in there. And for two days, actually, they weren't even the ones to go in there once someone finally did. And then they questioned the security guard, the employer for the security guard, who apparently Mm -hmm. told police they shouldn't go in there because they could be sued or at the very worst, they'd have to come fix Fix the door. So the journalists did their job is what you're saying. Yes. And every single institution that they questioned tried to blame it on the next. Sure. Of course they did. No one took accountability. Nobody. They always do. I know. And it's... It's just really fucking tragic that there's no justice at all, at all, for Ruthie May. Yeah. She did get a sweet movie made after her, though. And we get to talk about her, and we get to use her as a voice to say, hey, let's stop doing this shit. Let's fix some things around here. Like, that's what I want to do now. Like, I want things to be fixed. I want people to take action and do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And, you know, thankfully, Abla Homes was torn down. Hopefully, whatever was put in its place, which was supposed to be mixed income, has been better. But it's just so sick that we let people live like this in America. We force people to live like this in America. I know it's not just America. I'm just, we are talking about America right now. So we should want this country to be amazing, to be great for everyone. And when you put money above everything else and then you allow a group of people to be forced into a life of poverty I don't I just don't understand how anyone could be okay with that I I hope that Ruthie May has been able to peacefully rest out 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 of fear and doesn't have to watch her back all the time and it just really fucking breaks my heart that she was so close to getting out and, and this is just one example. This is not, I mean, this has happened a bunch of times, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I mean. There's just one Ruthie May that we know about. There's. Yeah. She represents dozens. Yes, she does. And their legacy definitely lives on in what I think is a classic movie that touches on a lot of important stuff. Like, sure does. It really yeah, does. Um, hopefully, hopefully this motivates us all to continue thinking about you know, ways that we can keep stuff like this from happening in our own communities. And I want to apologize again for our unplanned hiatus, but we are back now We're and we back. will continue to be back. So, yes. Um, that's, a, that's a Poltergeist reference as well, by the way, in case you didn't catch it. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, don't forget you can follow us on TikTok. You can follow us on Instagram. And if you do have any time 
and you want to leave us a review and a rating, that'd be absolutely amazing and so, so, so helpful. For sure. We love doing this podcast. And obviously, if we were able to do it full time, full time we, we would, would love to. We would definitely do it. Hell yeah. So that'd be super helpful in, in achieving that. Hell Thank yeah. you all so, so much for listening. I love you all. And I will talk to you soon. See you next time. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.